because converts are given an inner anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20, chapter 2. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. An unction from the Holy One. This unction, we talk about unction oil and unction, uh, what do you call it? Sticky stuff. Ointment. An unction. And in the Old Testament, priests and kings were anointed with oil and a prophet would anoint them and just pour oil or smear them with anointment. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. You're listening to the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church of Canada. And today we're going to 1 John chapter 2 on what happens when we are born of God, born again. And in John, 1 John 2, there are 10 things listed of what happens when you become a Christian, when you are born of the Spirit and receive a new heart. And that leads to radical conversion, that your conversion is no slight change, but it is a dramatic change. And that really is the thrust of the message today, that conversion is dramatic, and it works against the whole spirit of easy believism, which is the lie of many modern churches today. So stay tuned as we let the Bible speak on radical conversion. Given a new heart, that new convert will always stand up for the Bible. They will always be on the side of the Bible. And it was Peter again who said that converts desire the sincere milk of the Word. It's natural. That's what babies do. They want milk soon as they're born. That sucking instinct is right there. They're ready for the milk. And when you're born of the Spirit, you are immediately loyal, hungry, and yearning that that Word will live and work in your life. And so this is another test that we are born of God. Anyone that says to me, that I don't believe the Bible, or I don't believe something in the Bible. They're arguing against the Bible. They're arguing against God. Don't tell me you're walking in the light. You're still in darkness, because everyone born of God loves the Word. Now, we're, we're not always very perfect interpreters of the Word. That's the big struggle we have in churches. How do we interpret the Bible? How do we understand it? And that's why we have different denominations and different groups and so on. But everyone born of God loves the Word. And if you ask them, do you love the Bible? A true convert will say yes. If someone says, I've got, I've, I've got no confidence in the Bible, you are not born of God. You need a new heart. So that's number two. Number three, conversion to Christ is radical because it powerfully turns our love away from the world to love the Father. We're going to jump to chapter 2, verse 15, where John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, 
The love of the Father is in him. And that's our constant battle. We're in the world. We are tempted by the world. We are lured by it at times. But the born-again Christian says no to the world and yes to loving our Heavenly Father. These are the two opposites, the world versus the Father. And the definition of the world is everything that rules out God, where if you walked in and announced, God is here, people would protest or feel uncomfortable. Some preacher I read off when he walked into a member's house, he would ask the question, is the fear of God in this house? You would know then whether it's ruled by the world or by the Lord. We've heard the adage that a man is known by his friends, and it's true. Even the schoolboy on the playground, you drop him off at school, and the friends that little boy makes will tell you what's in his heart. If he makes friends with the ungodly, the blasphemer, the crude and the ugly, well, that's where his heart lies. That's his real nature. Like attracts light. But marvelously, when we are born again, we no longer want the friendship of the world. We want to have fellowship with the Father and the Son and fellow Christians. Now, I want to read verses 8 to 11. Uh, this is a chapter study, really, and I don't want to just have you go home tonight and say, boy, we didn't really get down to the text. Let's just read verses 8 to 11 in this context. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, that which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, the true light now shineth. You were born again, you've got new light. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, whether that, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And you can see the, the darkened soul. Now jump to verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. So he's commending them. Verse 13 is, is John's heart is full of joy in this. And then he says in verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. And then the command, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's as clear as that. It's either or. This is not incremental. This is not piecemeal. You're not halfway up the slope or down the slope. You're either a lover of the world or a lover of the Father. And if you're born again, you will be a lover of the Father, and you will resist the world. You will renounce the world. You will not seek the friendship of the world, because you know it will hinder your friendship with the Father. 
And one of the rules of the Christian life is whatever hinders you when you get on your knees to pray from communion with your heavenly Father, that's the world. That's the spirit that is anti-Christ, against the things of God. You see, we can't give you a long list of do's and don'ts. A church should never do that. We're not going to tell you, have a television, don't have a television, have a radio, don't have a radio, have a TV, have internet or don't have internet, um, go here, go there, and all those things. It would be endless, and you'd be adding to it every, every week. You'd be adding something else to it. But individual Christians, born of the Spirit, studying the Word, the Spirit of God will do that work, and you'll know what is of the world and what is of the Father. Now, what is wrong with the world? Well, it's angry against God. When we get to chapter 3, we'll see that, and Cain comes up. What, what was wrong with Cain? What got into him? He became a murderer of his own brother. And it wasn't just that he hated his brother. He hated God. And his brother was going around saying, God has pleased with my worship. God has accepted my worship. And Cain couldn't take it. He was angry against God. And there was a chip on his shoulder. And you're going to meet people that when you tell them they're a Christian, they will treat you as they have a chip on their shoulder. It's something against you. Because the world wants your approval. And that becomes the battle now. The world wants you to approve of what they do and say it's good and fine and okay. But the Christian can't say that. We have to say, you need delivered from that. And when we come to the gay agenda that's abroad today, you see that magnified. The gay agenda magnifies everything that's in a worldling's heart because they want our approval. They just don't want us to tolerate them and say, well, you just go and live the way you want to live. They want us to accept their lifestyle and say so. They want us to be allies. That's the term they use. They want everyone else to become allies. And it boggles my mind why in these pride parades you have what you call the nuclear wholesome family, mom and dad, taking their little children to these parades to show them the worst sins imaginable right before their eyes. Why is that? Because the pressure's on to be allies. And as a Christian, you're going to come under pressure of various kinds to agree with the world, to say that you approve of the world. And that becomes the battleground. And really, that now becomes the ministry of the church. The church is the place to equip the saints to overcome the world. It's the place of happy fellowship and worship where you are strengthened in faith that you might resist the world. And so I would ask, I would ask this of any Christian, does your church equip you to stand against the world? Does your church give you the ammunition and give you the fortification of heart and mind to say no to the ways of the world and live a new life? And when you do fail, and when you do fall under the powers of temptation, what does the church do to you? Do they come alongside and say, we're here to help you? We're going to pray more for you. We're going to help you on and give you uh, biblical help, personal help, uh, extra time as needed, pastoral care, that you might become victorious. 
Because this is the real battle in, in, in the heart of every Christian. And the church must do its work. And we should be praying every morning, Lord, give me victory over the world today. Don't leave your home. Don't go out into that worldly environment without praying for the victory. Now, in verse 15, you have this choice to make. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You have a decision to make. As a young Christian converted at 18 and a member or an attendee of the Young Farmers Club in our community, and when I think of the things that they did, it's pretty innocent to the stuff that goes on in many circles today. But I knew after I was saved, I had a decision to make because I can't think of any that professed to be a Christian in that group of young farmers. And they made me the treasurer. And I remember coming to a meeting, bringing the books and the money. And I said, I am quitting. I have become a Christian and I won't be back. And I went to the youth fellowship of Oma FPC. And on the Saturday night, they had youth meetings. And one of the choruses that they taught me was, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now, as a new Christian, I didn't understand the depth of meaning in the, even in that. But there is for every new Christian a decision to make. And it's really an easy one. For me, nobody pressured me and said, look, you've got to do this. Nobody even told me I had to do that. To me, it was just all evident. If I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to walk with the Lord, I can't go there. I can't talk the way they talk. I can't enter into the antics that they get into. It's the world. Mind you, there was no alcohol and drugs and that kind of stuff, but it was just worldly. No interest in the Lord Jesus. Conversion is radical. And there are some people that want to profess to be saved and profess to be born again, but they just want to go on as, as before, living the old life the same old way. It is not true conversion. Now, one more thing before we close the meeting tonight, and that is conversion to Christ is radical because converts are given an inner anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20, chapter 2. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. An unction from the Holy One. This unction, we talk about unction oil and unction, uh, what do you call it? Sticky stuff, um, ointment, an unction. And in the Old Testament, priests and kings were anointed with oil, and a prophet would anoint them and just pour oil or smear them with anointment. It's going to happen to King Charles, by the way, on, on Saturday. This oil is coming from Jerusalem. The Episcopalian something or other from Jerusalem is going to be at the coronation. And he's the one that's got the oil, and it's very special oil from Israel with different spices and concoctions to make it the anointing oil of the king. I can only hope it'll do some good. My confidence is not very high, I have to say. But if we have an unction from the Holy One, the oil is the type or the emblem of the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, what? A difference. What a difference. Now, notice verse 20 starts with but. But. What does that mean? Well, previously or just prior to that, it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
for they had, if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. They didn't have this anointing. They were deceived. They fell into error, apostasy. And then John says, but ye have an unction. And there is this enlightenment. What does the unction do? And ye know all things. Now, I struggle to limit the all things. I don't claim to be omniscient. I don't claim to know all things. But I can say that I have assurance of peace with God and fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus. And it's that unction that makes our Christianity experiential. I know in heart. It's not just what I learned in a classroom or a Sunday school room. I know it in my soul. I have been born of God. In verse 27, we're told that this anointing will remain. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. It continues on and on. When you're born again, you'll never be unborn. There is no such thing as falling away from grace finally. Now, we can grieve ourselves and grieve the Lord and become very pathetic and weak at times, but that anointing, that inner life of the Spirit, will live on. And then we're told right at the end of uh, the chapter, verse 28, Now, little children, abide in Him. Abide in Him. The secret of Christian living, abiding in the Lord. Like the branch of the vine, Jesus said, Without me ye can do nothing. And your fruit, your Christian living, your joy, your fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, and so on, those nine fruits of the Spirit, where do they come from? Not out of your own heart, but out of abiding, remaining in communion, union with Jesus the vine. And the branch will only be as productive as the flow from the vine. And your life will only be as godly and as victorious as you abide in the Lord. This is prayer life, your meditation life, your quiet time, your personal communion with God. And at our prayer meeting on Tuesday night, I advocated, don't stop praying until the joy flows. Too often, Christians pray a little bit and stop. Keep praying until you get the joy. It's like the oil business. You don't stop drilling until the oil flows. And you've got to tap into the Lord Jesus Christ, your vine, and you've got to enjoy the life of Christ in your soul. And John said, these things have I written unto you that your joy might be full. And that's the theme of the whole book. Everything in John, 1 John chapters 1 to 5, is all about leading us to this fullness of joy. I trust you will have that in your soul tonight and through the week and more and more in your Christian life. When the Lord gave us that wonderful parable, I am the vine, you are the branches. We abide, we're to abide. The, the, the command is to abide in him. Will you bow to that and focus on your personal union communion living in the vine. And that leads us into the fellowship, the blessed joy of the Father and the Son. Remember what John said? That, that our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And you remember what we learned about fellowship? It's koinonia. 
partnership. It's not just imitation. It is entering into, and we're to abide to enjoy that. May the Lord take this chapter and make it a blessing to your own heart. I realize I'll not be back for a few weeks to preach chapter 3 to you, but pray that the Lord will use that. In fact, I should share with you that next month at the end of May, I'm going to Singapore to preach this whole book. They want six messages at their Bible camp. So I've got an introductory message and then a message on each chapter. That should help us through. And I trust you'll pray for that as well, if you would, that the Lord would use his word in all of our hearts. We have a closing hymn, but where's the time at? Now it's too late. Boys and girls need to get home. Thank you for lending your listening ears tonight, boys and girls. I hope that some of these things have entered your heart. Let's bow in a closing prayer. Father, we thank thee for your loving kindness. We thank thee for helping us to dig into the word of God tonight. Oh, Lord, we love thee. We love your name. We love your word. We love the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Help us to tell this to a dying world. Bless your people. Go with us on our homeward way tonight. Be with us through the week. Keep us in your loving care. Bless those who face the world and sometimes in a terrible way, awful oppression of the world. Oh, God, give the victory. Make your people to be overcomers. We pray for children. Lord, deliver them from the awful agenda of this present evil world. And now, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we bless thee and thank thee in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Ian Golliher once more calling all Canadians back to the Bible. We lament the sins of Canada. From coast to coast and north to south, this country has lost its moral compass. We are told that there is no longer any right or wrong. We are being told that everyone is free to say, do and live as they please. They even say that this is enshrined in the Bill of Human Rights. What a lie this is. It is a double standard. Our young people grow up being told this lie, that there is no right and wrong. They then get into trouble and they find that in Canada there is a criminal code, there is a court system, and there are jails for offenders. Sadly, many deluded young men and women end up spending the best years of their lives behind bars and come out with criminal records that no employer would even begin to consider them for employment. These young offenders are left on the fringe of society. They are a prey to alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and crime. It's all they have ahead of them. They have gone from healthy, hopeful young lives to misery and early death, all because they were told in youth there is no right and wrong. At the root of this lie is the greater lie that God doesn't care about sin. 
for he is not there to see, nor will he visit men for their sins. Read Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 9, and you'll soon learn that Israel went headlong into grievous sin, shutting God out of their lives. The people said that God was not there to see their abominations. And Ezekiel 9.9 says, Then said he unto them, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. Dear friend, you need to waken up to the fact that God is there and everywhere, and God does see your sins. This word from God is a warning to awaken out of our stupor that is bringing greater and greater condemnation upon your soul. A long-term prisoner after his release from jail was asked, what was the worst part of life in jail? He said, knowing that the guard was always watching him through the peephole in the door. God sees sin. God hates sin. God will never tolerate sin. God will always judge sin. Indeed, the Bible is clear that God always judges sin. Another way of saying this is that sin has consequences, sure and certain consequences. Think of what happened to Judah and Israel. God raised up a heathen army to besiege the city of Jerusalem, then to break up the city in great bloodshed, then to carry away the people, men, women, and children into Babylonian captivity. Many of them lived and died in that captivity. This notion that God will never judge a people's sins because he is a God of love is wrong. It is deceptive, and it puts societies like Canada to sleep in their sins. Waken up, I say, to hear the truth. The Bible says, Job 36, 18, Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. The gospel answer is that while God will always judge sin, he will judge sin either in the person of the guilty sinner or the person of his son, the substitute for sinners who bears our sins for us when we believe the message of the gospel. This is the hope for all Canadians, even those whose lives have been wrecked by sin. Jesus is the Savior that men need. Jesus is the substitute and Savior of all who call upon him. On the cross, he bore our sins for us. On the cross, he finished the work of salvation so that guilty sinners can be saved in full and eternally. Do you believe this gospel? Will you go to Christ today to save you from your sins? There is the good news for your soul. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.